Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly, and I'm joined by my lovely and talented co-host, Serge Boudreau. Serge, how are you today? I, I, so every time we start a show, you always call me lovely or handsome. Like, I, I got to send you a check or something <laughs> because just it, it boosts my ego way too much. So, but how's it going, by the <laughs> way? The be weather's fine. been gorgeous be here fine. in Calgary. It has. We actually have our first hint of summer, like where the temperature yes. is. It's been a crazy um, early summer in terms of just extreme weather. Oh my goodness. We've had some extreme weather, um, like tornadoes, which is really unusual being so close to the Rocky Mountains and living in the foothills. Um, having a tornado make it this far is uh, a phenomenon, right? Yeah, and we've had two this year, so that's fantastic. But today we have someone that is from Chicago, which I, I love Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities. So the windy city. welcome to the show, Elena <laughs> Valentine. I'm uh, very excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Go Canada. <laughs> Go Canada. I love it. So the first thing when I reached out to Elena to come on the show, she's like, you're in Canada? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to do this show. I'm into Aww. it. No doubt. Yeah. I want, I want more like Canadian friends and colleagues. So I'm well, into you it. Just Let's do it. Made two friends here. Um, so Elena, let me introduce you. So Elena is the co-founder and the CEO of Skill Scout, uh, which you do need to check out. She is a co-founder and the board president at Mescla Media Collective and is also a very prominent public speaker, which is, I think the first time I've heard of you is I saw one of your Disrupt HR speech. And before I was doing my first, I think I looked at all like the highest ranked one and uh, yours came up. So you did an amazing job. I think you've done three at least, right? I have. They're, they're fun. And, and this is actually a, a pro tip, you know, for folks that are doing those lightning round talks. I use them as prototypes. So perhaps if there's a topic that I'm trying to explore more deeply or being able to experiment with a new approach, I like to try it out on five-minute Disrupt HR Talks. Because if you can do it in five minutes and do it in a way that's super engaging, it becomes a really great way to build out an entire talk after that. And so I've actually used that several times to do that. It's been fun. That's a great pro tip. The other thing, so... Um, I read your recruiting brain food tribune, which Hung Lee approached myself and uh, Shelly to do one and we're working on it right now. So I decided to do the letter to my 13 year old self. Mm -hmm. Then I read yours and I was like, Oh fuck. Like <laughs> how am I going to match this? How am I going to do? Uh, like, I, so now I'm so intimidated I've called Shelly almost every day. I'm like, hey, Shelly, like, you're going to need to help me. I put all my IDs down. Um, so, yeah, so fantastic job. And Thank for you. those it that don't really know what was. it is, so Hungly, who is a genius in my mind and, and came up with this concept, him, and I've yeah. always read, it's based on the Players' mm -hmm. Tribune, which is basically athletes speaking about their, their truth, like being themselves. And uh, Hung's approach to the talent acquisition world is taking talent acquisition professionals and then having them tell their story. And 
having yours being the first one, I think was, was just genius. And I, I think you did a fantastic job, but I got to ask you some questions on it. So you said at 13, <laughs> Surge. you had your first kiss, yes. your first smoke yes. and your first drunk experience. Correct. And I was telling Shelly before, I didn't have any of those till I was like 17, 18. <laughs> Yeah, 22. No, no, I lost my virginity at like 28, right, Shelly? So, um, <laughs> what I know, I wasn't so kudos. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. That'd have been robbing the cradle. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man, I love Canadians. You guys are great. So, 13, you did all of that. Uh-huh. Like, you must have been exposed to a lot, really. And did you grow up right in Chicago City? I'm assuming I grew up in the country, so I think you were probably exposed to a lot more before. I so yeah, I mean, yeah, born, raised Chicago. Interestingly, right smack dab in the middle of Chicago's Jewish Orthodox neighborhood. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just like other cities and neighborhoods, I mean, it's all. A melting pot. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're definitely exposed early to lots of things, both good and, and maybe some risque. Well, I, I thought it was You notice I didn't um, chime in. I'm not doing my 13-year-old self letter. Yeah. No, it was no, the hardest prompt. The I mean, honestly, Serge, I give you a lot of credit because literally when I, um, when I was talking to Hong as he was building this out, I was like, all right, just, you know, tell me all the prompts and which one hasn't been taken yet or which one is the least popular. And he said, the 13-year-old letter. So I was like, great, I'll start it off. I'll do it. So then at least we have something there. Um, but it is, I mean, it, it is the hardest prompt. Um, I think for it, it takes, I think, so much more reflection and definitely a lot more emotional. Mm-hmm. It is, um, yeah. I think a lot of like um, truths in my life or things that are have been, I guess, deep in there have come out while I'm writing my thoughts on it. So, congrats to to you to do it. And I'm hoping when yeah. mine comes out that I don't totally embarrass myself. But the model is you, so you've set a high bar. So mm-hmm. I'll no. try to reach it. But no, no, and honestly, and I, and I'll say, I mean, especially in our space. Um, you know, that letter is for you to read that, you know, five minute, seven minute, um, to read that and to understand that is to truly know me. I mean, that's it. Yeah. For you to know everything about that letter for the most part at a high level mm-hmm. um, is to know who I am and my values yeah. and all the woo-woo and be at the loss or everything that's made me. Um, and so I, I'm definitely proud of myself. You know, I've, I've started to share with strangers or folks that I'm just getting to meet to say, look, take five minutes. This is it. This is who I am. Um, and I didn't think that it would take a prompt to my 13-year-old self uh, to be able to do that. And we need that in our field, right? We we're As recruiters and, and kind of segue into our conversation, we are the storytellers, of the mm-hmm. business, right? We are the first touch point for candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are we're, the ones, we're very much. Yeah. I mean, we're the ones. We're the face. Kinda, the face and, and telling the initial stories of our companies. And so often it's us telling our stories of, of why we're at that company and why we stay mm-hmm. at that company. Uh, and so this should be an exercise that all recruiters should be doing in terms of owning their stories, be it for their younger selves or their current selves. 
Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your journey into recruitment. Um, so obviously you've you've had a journey. Not a lot of people go into the recruitment space in whatever role as as being in college or something they want to do. Um, like how what was your journey? How did you get to the point of uh, co-founding Skillscope? Yeah, I mean, it all came from impact and a social injustice we saw in the world. Um, mm. You know, I'm a former design researcher along with my colleague. So if any of you have heard of the human-centered design, IDEO, um, innovation consulting, that was my previous role as a design researcher. And primarily my role being, you know, to be the voice of the consumer. And so that whether that was a 32-year-old mother of two who shopped at Target or a young person looking for a job, it was my responsibility to be that voice. And in particular, um, to be a visual ethnographer in a sense, to kind of capture these interviews in a way that would move leadership. And so Mm -hmm. in my previous role, I was basically turning really ugly research video into documentary films that could move, you know, the C-suite of Samsung or grant makers or employers. And that's inevitably, you know, how I came about this. My life was markedly changed on a project at my previous employer um, that was looking at this, you know, national problem in America of 6 million young adults who are not in school or in the workforce. And how do we connect them to more meaningful pathways to employment? And so these were young people um, who, you know, didn't look good on resumes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them had criminal records. Uh, Many of them had never left their neighborhoods and they lacked access and exposure to jobs. And as we all know, job descriptions don't show what a job is like. Uh, And so when we took a step back, what we realized was that there was a power in video and that there was a power in storytelling in bringing jobs to life initially just to get young people excited about work, right? Mm -hmm. Making it super simple Mm -hmm. for them to understand this is what it means to be a cashier and this is what you'll be doing. Let's talk a little bit about the culture of, you know, this particular chain, et cetera, et cetera. But inevitably so that you can give young people this opportunity to self-screen in or self-screen out. Because while there's a plethora of problems that we knew that these young people were going through, some of this was an exposure problem. And some of this was just flailing on the job because I thought it was one thing. Mm -hmm. And initially Mm -hmm. now is actually another and I'm sure you, you both have stories, you know, even as adults, Tons, right? Yeah. Of, oh, I, yeah, so true. I thought this was supposed to be one way. Um, and so, so much of this was about demystifying what that could be. Um, and that's where the power of video um, has, particularly on our generation. Media is the literacy of the 21st century period. Yeah. And if we're going to YouTube to get, you know, tours of, of the White House or learn how to braid our hair we are going to YouTube to learn about jobs and to learn about companies. And so, mm-hmm. so much of this was about kind of, kind of seeing that trend, seeing what moved young people uh, to just get them talking about the world of work in a different way. And so in the essence of what we started to do prior to Scout was just start to film jobs and it started working. You know, mm-hmm. young people put their phones down and they'd start asking questions Um, and getting, you know, excited or not excited about jobs. And so then we knew that we had something, that this was a tool that wasn't just about young people, because we know that there are a plethora of communities of candidates that are very much shut out by our current hiring process, but that this was equally an opportunity for companies, um, large and small, in any industry, to be able to differentiate themselves, to tell their stories in a new um, and unique way 
to inevitably make more meaningful connections. And whether that was with your candidate or whether that was with your employee, um, that there, there's a power in story and that this isn't just an art, there's a true science. And it's mm. about, you know, kind of bringing that in as a very viable approach to what we do in our field. Hmm. Tell me a little bit about SkillScout's business model. How are you mm-hmm. structured as far as how do you approach the market? What is, um, so obviously you, you have different solutions, but how does that work? What is your business model? Yeah. So at Essence, we're a workplace filmmaking company. We eat, okay. sleep, and breathe the stories of companies using the medium of film. And so whether that's to bring a job description to life, whether that's around culture, whether that's around stories of belonging and inclusion, any and all stories that are in the workplace that could use you know, a human authentic voice and bringing that to film is what we do. Um, and so you know, we are you know, a full scale media production company and, and have you know, uh, the team members to do that. But as I'll also kind of share as we're kind of diving into kind of tangible tips, we've also realized that our smartphones are also really powerful cameras in our pockets. Yeah. And so ways that we could provide offering and approaches that would, you know, allow, you know, very savvy HR leaders, recruitment leaders to kind of tell their stories with a bit of structure and guidance um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, us working together to kind of help them edit and, and craft those stories um, is kind of some other things that we do um, in addition to just kind of training, right? So there's a lot of upskilling now um, in recruitment and HR um, as leveraging video as a communication practice. And so that's something that uh, we frequently consult on uh, with other companies. But so inevitably what we did is we went really deep into one medium initially focused on recruitment um, because, you know, we believe that we want to transform, you know, HR professionals to being chief human storytellers of their, of their business. And so that's really our main mission. And, you know, inevitably we exist uh, to capture the humanity of all jobs because everyone has a story of work and why it's meaningful. And it's our role to be able to capture that with humility, curiosity, and respect. There's a lot of hesitation of using video, and I, I'm not sure if it's the same in the U.S. market, but in the Canadian market, it seems like we're very far behind. Uh, and it's a challenge because I think video is you're you're completely right. It really can tell a really unique story, and that's mm-hmm. how a lot of my generation, as a generation, and well. I'm in between, I'm a generation X, but if we look at generation Y, generation Z, we consume our media by video. So what advice would you give to someone that is say a talent acquisition leader or even just a recruiter or a practitioner in itself, and they want to get and doing a lot more video, what would be your advice to them? And what would be your advice to them um, to be able to sell it to maybe people that are a different generation that are in senior mm-hmm. leadership roles, VPs, CEOs that might not feel the value of video or when they think of video, they think of overproduced yeah. corporate videos, which are just garbage. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we're looking for authenticity out there. So what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, first, Serge, let's talk about what the problems are, right? Because let's like to shed out, you know, shed the problems because there's a lot of reasons why folks are scared and then kind of track back into, you know, mm-hmm. based on where you're at, you know, mm-hmm. here's, here's how you might solve it. So, um, you know, certainly one of them is that there's truly a level of vulnerability of being on camera, of showing yourself. There's yeah. just this level of almost feeling too open that 
scares a lot of folks, right? So that's, that's one of like, oh my God, you know, maybe we're a manufacturing company or maybe we're a government contracting company and we have so much kind of proprietary information everywhere. This could really put us at risk. That's certainly one reason why folks have hesitation. Um, You know, another one definitely being, look, it's hard enough to speak publicly, let alone being on camera. And actually, surprisingly enough, I was actually surprised by this itself. When we did a recent poll of like people's biggest fears about video, 64% of our audience said that their biggest hang up was folks not wanting to be on camera, right? That there's just this level of jitters, right? Um, You know, I think the third is, and you mentioned it, Serge, is this level of preciousness that we have towards traditional video methods. So this idea of like, oh my gosh, we have to stop all of our productivity, our production on the floor. We've got a, you know, we got a big Megillah. We've got a whole production crew coming in. Everything has to stop, you know? So there's this kind of big kind of just event logistics that gets people really hung up. And then inevitably when they need to make that change, they feel like they can't because it just becomes too expensive. So there's a money issue to this, um, you know, and just a level of kind of production-ish that just feels uh, really difficult. But now it, it's also looking at, it's being updatable, right? It, it becomes much easier, even though some folks still don't do this, to update a job post of like, here's the new, you know, tasks or like, here's the new reframe. Then it might be for video. Um, and so that becomes a barrier. And then certainly just generally from a technical standpoint, um, you know, there it's become a lot easier, I think, in terms of the the barrier to entry to do video. Um, but it, it's still a learning curve there. And it's certainly still, you know, not a tool that, necess- that recruiters are necessarily seeing themselves as. You know, recruiters aren't seeing themselves as filmmakers, right? Yeah, they no. know that they have to have some level of proficiency around writing and, you know, writing a job post, writing, you know, who knows what else. Um, but video is not necessarily as being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure there's many more and, and there's, there is, you know, a lot more, but I would say that those are some of the kind of the big issues, um, that come up. And so if we were to go down the line to be like, all right, oh, oh, and certainly the value of like, all right, what's the data here, right? Of like, does this really right. work in comparison to a text job post? So let's go there. Cause that's easiest. There's already data out there that exists. Mm-hmm. Initially, number one, there's a science behind this. We are visual beings, we retain 65% of what we see in here versus what we read. 80% of our brain is dedicated to processing visuals. Um, visual job posts are known um, to get, you know, a click increase of three times or more um, and are viewed, oh no, they're viewed three times longer and the increase in viewership is about 50%, right? So that's just the yeah. data that like if a candidate is going online and they have a chance, you know, to see a video of that job versus a similar role that doesn't, where are you going to go? We're going to do the same thing, right? So Mm -hmm. we're already seeing the data of just like the level of differentiation that's here. Mm -hmm. Um, But then if we, you know, kind of go down the line of some of these other things, and and I won't be super um, exhaustive around this, but, you know, Methods of video and, and video capture have also changed, right? So again, the biggest hangup is around expense. It's around, oh, this is just huge production. And it doesn't have to be, right? 
Um, you know, there, there might be some foundational videos that you want some additional support on things that may not change for the next two, three years, like a founding mm-hmm. story, or this is what we believe in. These are our values that shouldn't yeah. change. Yeah. Um, but what should be felt like it could be updatable are things like, you know, monthly rituals and celebrations and new projects, mm-hmm. um, things like that, where again, there's just a multiple multitude of video methods that you can use like your smartphone, you know, there are, you know, solutions like ourselves where we, you know, we partner one-on-one to kind of be someone's, you know, content support as they're telling those videos um, through smartphones. So that becomes another one. And then the last one I'll, I'll, I'll touch upon is around the camera jitters, right? Is, is people being afraid to be on camera. I was so surprised that that was one of the biggest hangups. And so much of this has to do with the, the, the framing of what this is. You know, when you send out this real formal email and saying, all right, so these are going to be all your questions and you have to prepare for that. And like, of course, that's going to scare the shit out of anyone. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, so much of what we have to do and in my role as a producer, when I'm sitting, you know, across the room from a complete stranger who I've never met is within five minutes or less, I have to get them comfortable enough to share their most authentic self at work. And, you know, more often than not, sometimes we might, you know, judge how well we do based on, well, how many people have we gotten to cry that day? And not because we're mean, but, but more so have we been able to touch their zeitgeist enough to a point where they feel that emotional about what they do and why they do. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that's kind of, I think, part of the framing that we have to have, you know, with mm-hmm. recruiters is, is part of it is to say, this is a celebration of your work, right? We are not fishing for any answers. You are the expert, of your experience. Um, so we just want to celebrate you. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's, there's so much of that, that there's a level of formality sometimes that, you know, I get based on which corporation you're at has to happen. But if we're here to, you know, end up interviewing someone on camera, we need to recognize their humanity first and really treat this as an individual communication for them to feel comfortable and for them to feel celebrated. And um, I get talk kind of all day on that because I think that's one of the most important kind of roles that we have as filmmakers. Um, but that's a big one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know if, um, if, cause I, you know, as I listen to you talk, Elena, I, I can't help but think, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges and I don't know if we'll solve it, but I, I think, um, diversity and inclusion is is not something that you just um, maybe run one video and feature some of your uh, female employees sitting around a table to say, look, they're at the table. Um, how do you feel, like even when you think of companies that have efforts underway um, to really demonstrate that we are an inclusive culture? Like, honestly, like as you were talking, I'm thinking this is the only way to show um, what it, it's really like and to have real employees talking about, I don't know, maybe I'm answering it for you, but do you see companies really putting their arms around uh, specifically Skill Scout to help them with diversity and inclusion? Absolutely. And it's one of our you know, favorite stories to tell. I will say, though, I used to say a lot that seeing is believing, mm. but inevitably that can be just as performative. Yes. Inevitably, it's going to be based on actions. Um, yeah. You know, one very telling thing is kind of a pro tip, right, is that, 
you know, they shouldn't be talking about, you know, how inclusive you are as a company and talking about it in the abstract. If you don't have stories to ground I, your shit yeah. in, if That's you don't have thinking. stories to say, yeah. you know, tell me a moment when you felt supported at work. Tell me a moment when you knew you could bring your whole self to work. If you don't have stories around that, then it's all bullshit and it's all performative. So for yeah. me, any good diversity and inclusion story is going to lie with someone truly recounting or showcasing ways that they truly have been supportive and been able to bring themselves to work. And certainly video and film is a medium by which um, to be able to do that. But what it has to do is take you from the abstract to an actual grounded story. And then inevitably being able to tell those kinds of stories more often and with more people. Mm-hmm. That to me is kind of one of the key is was one of the key things in telling some of those stories. Mm-hmm. So, do you see that as really being baked into, I guess, what we consider to be employer brand, and using video? You know, are there companies out there that are doing a great job at this? You know, like being able to, um, you know, I mean, so there's there's employer brand, but I don't know how you can separate. Um, if, if diversity and inclusion is part of your culture, I don't see how you can separate that from your brand. Or do you find that companies are using video to tell their why work here story and just kind of missing? Inevitably, point? a good DNI story is one where you don't even have to effing say that it's a DNI story. <laughs> that this just becomes Thank you. the makeup yeah. of the company. Thank you. Yeah. You are. That you are a company. It's not a forced effort. Yeah. Yeah. That that you are a company that from the ground up have, you know, supported black and brown professionals um, that have, you know, where your leadership can already showcase this. Right. So, so a good DNI story is one that you don't even have to point that out necessarily, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, but inevitably what's happening is especially in our large you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies is that Mm -hmm. these are companies that were built, you know, several, several years ago that never intended someone like me to be a part of that story. And so they're like kind of a salmon swimming up, you know, the bank, right. And, and kind of having to do a lot of this detraction and, and kind of, you know, kind of going through this crisis of of figuring out what their narrative is. And that's a challenge. And, and, you know, certainly, you know, unfortunately, that is where they they do kind of have to be like, oh yeah, this is our DNI story. I mean, it's not the best way, but but sometimes mm-hmm. that's kind of how you have to do it. Um, you know, this is something that at times you know will fall with an employer brand, and, you know, depending the size of the company. Diver- you know, and a diversity and inclusion leader might be one uh, to lead this. Um, you know, recruitment certainly has been one CSR you know, might potentially be one pending the size um, of the company, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, you know, touch points when it comes to these kinds of stories. A lot of folks um, are really embracing them. If I had to think of, you know, a company that I think has done this well, um, there's a few and, and you can share this in the show notes or um, happy to share this later. I think Netflix does a good job. Um, you know, obviously they're a media company, so their level yeah, of access wouldn't that be ironic to, if they did really quality storytelling <laughs> is great. But you know, yeah. they've done a really great series around um belonging and sharing stories that I've been moved by. Um, 
you know, Accenture's Inclusion Starts With Me. I thought um, there was an incredible first film that initially was never meant to be even captured. This was just a workshop that several hundred of their, you know, colleagues had come together for. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just turned out so well uh, that they ended up doing a video around it. And I thought that they did a fantastic job. Another one that I love um, is Barclays, particularly with their health initiative, which is a big one, right? We don't talk a lot about, and we should more talk about disability inclusion and what Mm. that means. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And so Barclays, um, a couple of years ago saw how, you know, and they're, you know, a hundred thousand employees, there were so many folks afraid to speak up that they had a mental health issue. Yeah. And that they knew there was a stick and, um, they were like, you know what, we have to destigmatize this. We have to demystify what this really is. And so they leveraged film as their core medium. They started with nine brave souls who shared their stories of, of, um, you know, suicide attempts of drug addictions of, you know, multiple, you know, kind of disorders. And it went so well that their stories have now increased to like several hundred, like well over 300. And in a matter of months of releasing this, they went from, you know, a 3% to a 7% jump in folks. Um, So a 4% increase of folks who, who felt comfortable enough uh, to share their mental health uh, issue Mm. with the company. So, you know, those are real stories um, driven by film and, and, you know, driven by their, their colleagues kind of owning uh, who they are um, to really make some sweeping changes in their workplaces. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting because especially when it comes to mental health and I think a lot of people are feeling very vulnerable about sharing that story, even though it's become way more prominent, a lot more people are doing it, but it's really starting that that wave of, of people. Mm-hmm. And then when people see other people being comfortable, they start sharing those stories. Uh, I think it makes a, a dramatic impact in most organizations because we all have our own challenges, um, even though what we look on the outside um, when we go home or even our work, there's, there's things we deal with. And the place of work should be a place where you you should be comfortable to share your true self. And that's, that's still a massive challenge. And it will be a massive challenge for years, depending on the hierarchy of how management is structured. And um, as the generations come up, I think we'll see a change in that. So really good points. Uh, I I really agree with that. I'm going to switch topics a little bit. I I want to talk a little bit, and I've been using this in in my own uh, profession, in my own practice. I I leverage um, user-generated content a lot. Um, and I'm lucky I work for a creative company, so it's easy to to get that. But the reason I'm bringing this up, you mentioned several times the the smartphone. Um, So... Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of the content created from the users. We edit it to make it look nice, but not overly produce. Um, but I'll bring it up to senior management that's in a different generation and they don't like it and they, they, they do cut it off. I'm very fortunate that I just run with it and I, in my particular case. But what's your overall thoughts about user-generated content, having your employees actually or internal talent, create that content on video. Have you Mm -hmm. seen anyone do it really well? What's your overall thoughts around it? Yeah, so a couple of things. Part of it is grounding into the data. You know, the majority of, if we're talking about job seekers in this case, um, see 
user-generated employee content, be it that video or anything else, as more trustworthy and credible Mm -hmm. than, you know, corporate content. So, you know, it's already kind of in the data out there. Um, This is also the language in in which most folks are consuming content already. So they see this as being more trustworthy and authentic um, and accessible because of this. Um, But the other thing is looking at, it's from an accessibility issue. If we are here to tell more stories more often across more employees, across more diverse subsets, employees, if you don't have a million dollar budget to do a production, this is the only way. We have to start democratizing these tools. I mean, inevitably, this becomes yet another kind of inclusion story of like, look, if you know, we're making all these other things accessible and we're democratizing other ways and other processes so that we can ensure that our employees have access, we also need to make sure that we're thinking about in the same ways of how we're identifying and capturing stories of our workplace. And so that's just kind of like from a, from a, from a data standpoint, from a budget standpoint, um, certainly just makes sense. And then it's looking at, look, you know, we're not expecting people to be Martin Scorsese filmmakers here. And so at this point, we kind of a bit, um, but that doesn't mean that there's not structure and guidance in, yeah. you know, yeah. templates that, ena- that will enable candidates to kind of do the best work for you. Right. And so that's a lot of things that, you know, we've kind of done with companies throughout this is this isn't just about, you know, all right, getting your clips and you no know, telling stories. So much of this is look to help you increase adoption. What we know we have to help you on is ensuring, you know, we're creating the right set of guidelines for your particular company. Um, here's the questions that you're going to be asking. Here's how you're going to want to hold your phone. You should yeah. shoot in a well-lit area. You should shoot in a quiet area. You know, we have kind of a kit where, look, we're going to send you a smartphone mic you know, because audio quality is so important. So there's ways that you can elevate the production quality um, and see this as a process. I think what scares folks sometimes in doing that is it, it does feel, I mean, it, this it's an investment period. And if you're a company that's just trying to do a one and done set of videos on smartphones, this isn't for you. Skill Scout certainly isn't for you. You have to see this tool. You have to see this mm-hmm. approach as being an investment in how you will tell stories in the future. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, just like any good process, you have to set the tone and the foundation, the streamline to inevitably make your employees most successful in this. You can't Absolutely. blame your employees when you're getting shitty video. You have how to ask yourself, what have I done exactly. to not set them up for success? Yeah. And so that that's how you do it. Um, yeah. And certainly... You know, again, in, in show notes or as we're sharing, I can certainly share some really just stellar examples of folks who've just taken it, you know, to the next uh, level. But again, it was because they, they had the supports, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I think the fact that, you know, we could support them and helping them craft that story, right? So inevitably, we're, we're training our clients to do is become great video sous chefs. But don't worry. We're still the chefs and we cook it for you. So again, right, it's just going to be the levers, like pending on what you feel the skills and capacity of your team, you start to kind of outsource some of the pieces that um, just make the most sense for you to do. Hmm. Really good points. Um, Let's talk a little bit about employment brand, obviously with everything going on in the world. um, So you take COVID, you take... um, equality, Black Lives Matter, um, the way company, and we asked James this question and he had a really good answer and I'm curious what your thoughts. 
one of my concerns is companies are out there putting out a message, um, both on COVID, um, how they treat their employees. And I am just a little, and obviously for Black Lives Matters, we're very engaged, but I'm a little worried that they're going to forget about this. Like a year from now, it's like as humans, we move on really quickly, it seems. And that's that's a big issue, especially issues that are this important. Um, fairly quickly. What's your thoughts? Do you think we're going to see this really stick, uh, really have organizations be really focused on diversity and inclusion, really focus on the health of their employees? Or is this something where a year from now, we'll just move on and whatever the subject of the day is, is what we'll focus on? You know, so the biggest theme of this time is now more than ever, people are paying attention to how you treat your people. Yeah. People are making buying decisions, treating their people. Um, people are calling them out. You know, we have communities and individuals that are much more emboldened to speak out, for example, about toxic workplaces and about some of their traumas um, in a critical mass that I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the world is watching companies under a magnifying glass in, in pretty specific ways when it comes to inclusion and how they have made people belong or not belong. And despite the fact that, yes, look, there are companies that are going through furloughs, there are companies that are going through layoffs, we have to see that still as yet a part of the the employee and candidate process and that we just have to be just as loving and just as human as we are in letting people go as we are in bringing them back into our organization. And that's where I feel some of the biggest fuck ups happen. We spend so much time in our employer brand getting real cute with our assets and bringing people in and having nice communication, whatever's for our employees. We're not talking the part about when they depart. Because they can either be positive ambassadors of your brand or not. So that's something that I'd like to, to see more of. And, and we're already having to see this. I mean, we're going through a wave now. We're going to continue to go through some big waves here. And how we're treating the people at the end of their cycle, which they could come back to us. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, for, mm-hmm. for many who are being furloughed, they will come back and they will very much remember how they were treated. Um, so that to me, I think is a very delicate point in that we need to spend a lot more time on our brand and and, and what our purpose is to still make them feel um, loved regardless. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your entire question, but no, it does. It does. That's a big part for me. Yeah, no. And I really love that point about departing. I think departing and candidates that we initially reject, well, reject, I hate that word, but as far as the application process, um, is how we treat those candidates is so critical to your whole employment brand. So completely on board with what you're saying there. So um, I'm, I get to ask kind of the, the final question here. Um, And, you know, I heard you talk um, about some of the data around this fear of being on camera. And I think you said 60%. um, And so. Shelly, you love being on camera. So you're, (laughs) you're okay. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, Serge. And I know the camera is very kind to you as well. <laughs> very kind. Um, but what, I, what I'm wondering is, you know, in terms of disruption, I, I wonder if we're going to see probably one of the most remarkable changes, that fear of being on camera to a comfort level um, because of, well, even how we're meeting today, like we're using Zoom and, and we're meeting on Zoom and we're getting more used to um, seeing someone on a screen or on camera. So, you know, as you kind of look at the industry that you're really that 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 you have created or for skill scout and that being you know being able to share do you think there's a big disruption coming that i mean i'd like to think that you're so far ahead of your time it's almost like you saw this coming because now it's going to be do you, do you have a prediction is it going to be this absolute um unquenchable thirst for video or like how do you think this might play out as far as a disruption yeah, I mean, it was already happening prior to this and mm. this, you know, this time only kind of catapulted. Yeah. I think yeah. folks yeah. is um, you know, folks were folks were forced now to, you know, be, you know, on camera ready, if you will, right? Yeah. We have more folks who are getting a bit more technologically geeked out on the best microphone and, you mm. know, the best camera and the best camera angle and the best background, wah, wah, wah. Um, but inevitably what that comes down to is it's an attempt to make that person feel more confident in kind of front of their computer audience. Whereas we're so used to getting this kind of in-person engagement, um, we're not getting that kind of feedback anymore. And so, so much of the technological geek out, and you know, they're, they're doing things that they can control, but inevitably what they still have to get good with is being comfortable with themselves and kind of, you know, inevitably kind of owning their personality and, and being okay with the ums and the ahs and like, oh my God, my hair is a little bit of a mess. Like just not giving a shit. And I stopped not giving a shit like a really long time ago. Like, all right, I didn't put eyeliner on. All right, fuck it. Like, that's fine. Like, they're just going to get me and that, that's fine. Like, I'm not here to be like a Victoria's Secret model. Like, it's fine. But I, you know, but I think that those are inevitably like some of the hangups, right? But what I, what I would hope is that this inevitably does kind of increase people's comfort level Mm-hmm. Um, being in front of the camera, that that we see this as being an investment in someone's professional development because this basically is public speaking, right? This is an actual skill. Forget about the tool, forget about the medium. This is just being able to kind of present in front of an audience in a virtual and digital space. Um, and so that's just kind of a hump that we have to, you know, get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then certainly video is going to matter all the more when it comes to kind of connecting your front line with your remote, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to kind of continue to still tell these stories and feel connections when you're not just in one place. You know, we used to, um, I think, take for granted the water cooler moments of our yeah. office spaces yeah. and, and workplaces that inevitably were the invisible glue of our company, mm-hmm. right? Like those were the stories that, you know, showcased what the values were. And we don't have that. And so, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we're going to have now in this digital virtual space is how intentional can we be in ensuring that we still have these water cooler moments and in some ways providing opportunities for people to share their stories. Right now, all we've got is video. And if that's, you know, the lo-fi way 
or if that is still kind of involving a production crew or, or some sort of support, you know, that's all kind of still possible. And it's just mm-hmm. going to be based on the capacity, comfort, you know, budget, whatever's um, of these companies. But, you know, this is, this is really here to stay. And, you know, um, you know, I would say early on into COVID, right. Um, we had, you know, productions, you know, had come to a halt. We had folks, you know, like yourselves who needed to focus on some pretty important things like layoffs, furloughs, getting 5,000 people to now work remotely. Right. Um, and we're now seeing much more activity now with folks now that things have kind of settled and, and, you know, and Serge said, we're we're having to move on. Like, all right, like this is the reality. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. we're now, you know, being able to start having, you know, those kinds of conversations again, um, for how we can leverage film for engagement. Yeah. I think there's, uh, you know, I've seen some wonderful opportunities to showcase and give hope um, to those that were struggling with working from home and seeing how it actually could be, it could turn into something fun, you know, and so to have someone like a skill scout kind of, um, you know, to, like you say, I love your analogy of the sous chef, let, let them, you know, give them the guidelines on how to be better leaders on video, but then have you recording it and finding those great moments, even great video moments in a meeting, like some of the best um, insights that I've certainly learned during lockdown is, is just sound bites. It was like, a 30 second story that somebody was telling, you know, they kind of lost sight of the fact that we were, you know, we pushed record and, and they just started telling a really cool story. Um, so I think there's still, that's a really cool opportunity, but unless they've got an expert chef to help us um, find like, where's, where's the best cut of meat, right? How are we going to slice this up? Um, that's a, that's such a cool opportunity. I, I think there's, it's just, I, I wouldn't know where to begin, but I know I was in a meeting and well, some it, people just said something so godly honest and just like, oh shit, man, everybody needs mm-hmm. to hear that. You yeah, know, the moments, absolutely. Yeah, you know, the moments. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk actually says it's document. Uh, and I think our generation is documenting everything we do. Uh, and that is a big part of our, our content creation. When I say content creation, that sounds really, but it's just what it is. We're documenting everything. I, I look mm-hmm. at my kids and look at the pictures mm-hmm. when I was young. And now I have so many videos of like my three kids all the time. And it's the world has changed in that way. But. Uh, really good points, Elena. Uh, you're amazing. Magnificent input. I'm so glad you came. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I will you. end with this. Um, you know, I've uh, I've been I was I've been moved throughout this time by a Toni Morrison quote, who said that in moments of dread and uncertainty, that's when artists go to work. Mm-hmm. We use, we speak, we write, we do language, and that is how civilization heals. Um, and for me, it's such a huge honor to be in this space to elevate HR content as art um, wow. and to be able to tell the stories of humanity um, of our workplaces. It's a true, it's a true honor. Um, and especially in this time, we need it more than ever. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. You had me. <laughs> You've got me. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Elena. Shelly, I could see fantastic. your, I could see you. 
tearing up there. Stop it. Stop I it. did my job. <laughs> yes. I didn't even really fully interview you. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, so, it, it's so true. Like I think of the, uh, the, the, the music too, that is going to be created. Um, the messages, the, like this whole experience is going to create not just in visual art, but musical art, um, painting, all those expressions. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I mean, I think it's going to be amazing to, uh, to have been part of it, such a, a big part of it. Yeah. So. Amen. So Elena, where can we find you? What's the easiest way to get a hold of Elena Valentine? A tweet, LinkedIn. Tweet? Okay. I'm all over it. What's so, your, uh, Canadians, how can it reach you at SkillScout? Um, Elena at SkillScout.com. Super easy. Cool. Perfect. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, like I said, you your insights are fantastic, and the authenticity of what you're saying too is is so true. I think there's a lot of tips for our listeners as well on how to leverage video. I've always been a big proponent of it. You mm -hmm. should definitely leverage Skill Scout. It is intimidating if you've never done it. So look at the resources, mm -hmm. and and don't. And like if you're thinking it's going to in the context of massive production teams, the world has changed, and I think you can do a lot, and you can leverage companies like yours, uh, mm -hmm. Elena. So, again, I'm when you read my um, Brain Food Tribune, I, I'm just <laughs> hoping I can get it like anywhere near as good as you. So yeah. everyone, do check out, and I'm going to give a plug to recruiting Brain Food. Hungly is is definitely a master of what he does. Um, definitely do sign up to the newsletter and do read these because um, like the first thing, I think it was 12. Then uh, last week they released, and I forget, I think it's Stephen O'Donnell, if, mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. So again, thank you so much for being on our show. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.